When Aristotle turns his attention to considering the soul, it might be useful to remember that he was operating with two competing theories of the soul at play. We had the the atomic theory of Democritus, arguing that the psuche, or soul, was simply a matter of fast-moving atoms. We also have the dualistic approach of Plato, in which a, a psuche, which is immortal and immaterial, is somehow trapped or yeah, trapped inside this material, physical body. Aristotle wants to argue against both of these. First of all, he will say that they fail to explain the unity of a living organism. Secondly, that these accounts have been applied very narrowly to the class of human souls. And three, these discussions have really failed to establish initially whether there are properties peculiar to the psuche, or common to it and its body. By applying his matter-form-substance distinctions, Aristotle hopes to redress the inadequacies of the materialist and dualistic views. You might recall that in Metaphysics, Book 7, Chapter 17, Aristotle thinks he has found a solution to the idea that the material cause and the formal cause are somehow combined in a a primary substance. And he suggests that the primary substance is this informed matter. It's the unity of form and matter which creates the, I will call, species form. And the species form is the true substance. So this species form as substance, is the primary cause of a living thing's being. This species form, for all living things, is psuche. Psuche is the reason the organism is alive and does what it does. So he thinks this species form, unity, accounts for the this in the world. It is material, and it answers the question of what it is. He gives us both the answers, the answers to both, toreti and tiesti. An organism, insofar as it lives and moves and rests or engages in any of its activities, does so because it has a soul, a psuche. In a living organism, the psuche is the source of movement or rest. Look at uh, 412b17. As the primary cause of what an organism is and does, the psuche is the substance. As a principle of organization, the motions which are in the matter of the body potentially are made actual. The psuche is the first actuality of the body. It is the orchestration of the complex of of life activities, the functioning and the interrelatedness of organs and processes, um, all the activities which make an organism a living unity. Soul is the substance, then. The material of a thing 
may persist after the loss of a soul, but it ceases to be what it was, except homonymously. Right now, I have an eye that is looking at the world and perceiving things and sending signals to my brain. If I pulled my eye out of my socket and severed the cords, it would still be an eye. We would still call it an eye, but it is an eye in name only. The loss of the soul is also the loss of potential life. But even a, a dormant seed has a soul, a psuche, which can become active. But in an organism, the soul and the body are united. That is, the, the unity is the actual, particular organism. And thus, the soul can no more persist through the loss of its body than the reverse. Or at least the soul, insofar as it is a principle of organization, cannot exist without that which it organizes. Even though Aristotle can speak of soul and body, and indeed maintain the immateriality of the soul in opposition to the materiality of the body, this position is not strictly dualistic. Dualism would want a soul and a body to be two distinct elements. Soul as substance, however, is a principle, a cause of being, and therefore not an element. Again, go back to Metaphysics 7, chapter 17. Aristotle seems to have struck middle ground between materialism and dualism. The inadequacies of the materialist account regarding the unity and function of an organism need not be resolved by the postulation of a wholly separate and immaterial soul. The dualism of Plato, for example, still fails to explain the unity of the organism in the way that platonic forms uh, fail to be the formal causes of sensible things. Aristotle leaves off Book 2 of De Anima, Chapter 1, with an analogy of sailors and ships to souls and bodies. Clearly, if all the sailors leave a ship, it is no longer a ship, except homonymously. It's a ship in name only, but a mere, it's a mere vessel. Likewise, when the soul leaves an organism, all that remains is the body, not an organism. This uh, analogy raises the question, what sailors are essential for the functioning of the ship? Are their sailors not tied to the ship? Or, as Aristotle conditionally expresses this about the soul, if it is divisible, certain parts cannot be separated from the body. But this does not prevent some parts, at least, from being separable from the body. The task now for Aristotle is to examine the properties of the soul to see which properties are, or functions are or are not essentially bound to the organic body. All motions from the simple kind involved in nutrition, growth, and decay, to the more complex modes of locomotion and perceptions. As motions have the soul as their cause, in all of these cases the soul is bound to the body and its motion. But in the case of reasoning, the activity seems independent of the body. 
This independent psychic function is called nous, or mind, or intellect. The special function of nous has quite a history in both literature and philosophy prior to Aristotle. For Plato, it is the psuche, as nous, that is divine and immortal. And in this aspect, the soul's immortality and the theory of forms are linked. But to explain how the nous works, within the psuche, Aristotle draws an analogy. Matter stands to each kind of thing as what is potential to all things. And there is also something which is productive of those things, their cause. These differences are also found in the soul. As he says at 4.30a.14, there is such a noose on the one hand for the becoming of all things, and on the other for the production of all things. So the noose seems to have a vital role in the creation of the world which we know. Aristotle can say, the soul is, in a way, all existing things. That's 431b21. Because all existing things are either objects or thought, or objects of perception. Thus, objects are in the soul which grasps them. But it is not the object itself which is in the soul, rather the form of the thing which is grasped. Like a hand is mm, a tool for tools. The noose is a form for forms. Yet the noose is itself distinct, unaffected, and unmixed, being, in its essence, activity. I suspect that by these qualifications he's recalling the nature of the receptacle in Plato's Timaeus, in which its own nature is uh, nothing, lest it distorts what comes to be inside it. Sense perceptions, because they vary and can be clouded, see 429b1, are not independent of the body which does the perceiving, but the noose is distinct. The objects of thought, objects from which forms are apprehended by the noose, are also objects of perception. All existent things are objects of perception. Thus, perceptions make possible thinking and knowledge. What the noose grasps is the form of its object. But the form of an object is immaterial, just as the noose is immaterial. On this point of similarity, the noose is nothing, actually, until it thinks. Then the noose is in effect like the object of its thought, immaterial. Again, look to uh, 429b30 following. Therefore, active noose is identical with its object. As forms are immaterial, so is the noose. Thus, noose is a part of the soul which is immortal and eternal. When we contemplate, we may contemplate an image, the phantasma, which is like the sense impression without matter. But judgments and decisions go further than these images, because images are neither true or false. Truth and falsity emerge only through a combination of thoughts. When he says that these thoughts will not be images, but they 
will not exist without images, he seems to mean that the thoughts which form the basis of our judgments must have empirical grounding, but the experiences of the world are not enough for judgments of truth. The determination of truth follows only from the activity of the noose in the comparison of thoughts.